This is a special bonus episode. This is episode 49.5. 49.B. Of various breads and butters. A I'm, bonus-ode. Yeah, bonus-ode. I'm Simon Tonov. With me as always, Ben Brickhouse-Cohen, our intrepid producer, Renan Dinser. Renan Sequitur Dinser. With us, a special guest on this bonus-ode, Dr. Owen McLeod of Lafayette College Philosophy Department. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, future guests, we're going to have you back for a full episode, but this is a, it's a spinoff. It's the one question version of Various Breads and Butters. We have one question that we want to talk about. Right. You are a professor of philosophy who teaches ethics, and it seemed like you'd be particularly uh, useful as a guest to discuss it. The question came up from more than one listener, and listener feedback in a conversation. They asked, uh, what is the, what, what's the clip that we use at the beginning of the podcast, and what does the name come from, which is from a Woody Allen movie, um, What's Up, Tiger Lily, his first movie. And I, I've struggled in the last few years uh, because I've shown my kids some of these Woody Allen movies. I love Woody Allen movies, especially the earlier, funnier ones. And then a bunch in the 80s. And then like three or four since then. Man, Woody might be listening to this. It bothers me a little bit because I don't know how to treat Woody Allen as an artist and how to understand or think about the difference between the art and the artist, given that he is a problematic person who has a problematic possible criminal record. Just to clarify, when you say you don't know how to treat Woody Allen, you don't mean like when you run into him over at Cosmic Cup. You mean his oeuvre. <laughs> That's right. When Simon, you didn't say friend of the show, future guest. Uh, no, I didn't. I, I didn't. because I, I think because of his oeuvre. Well, so let me, let me back up too. Can I back up a moment? Absolutely. Back that thing up. We're in a cultural moment now where clean and clear line has come down in the Bill Cosby universe or the understanding of Bill Cosby as a cultural figure. And for quite a while, it wasn't as clear cut or I think the widespread uh, public audience wasn't aware or didn't follow through on, on claims. But over the last three months, six months, year, I think that line has been uh, clarified. And it seems like, yes, I, my kids used to watch the Cosby show. I don't really want them watching the Cosby show anymore. Um, I don't have any disagreement that this line came down. It seems like the evidence is in, um, from from what I know. But it's hard to talk about the Cosby thing without asking broader questions about the difference between art and an artist and how we're supposed to treat this as consumers of media. And that usually, um, in the discussions I've seen, has either a footnote to or a sidebar on Woody Allen. But um, I don't really know how to deal with that. So you're a professor of ethics. Can you help us? Uh, I can, maybe. It depends on what the question is, really. And I should also say, for this question, and I hate to undermine my authority right at the outset, but whatever, the guy you really should be talking to is my colleague, Alessandro Giovanelli, Professor Giovanelli. He, friend, friend of the show, future guest. Okay, so you can bring this up with him. He will have a much more sophisticated, nuanced uh, account. It will also be with a fairly thick Italian accent, which... That we Your listeners that. will love. We that. welcome that. As character. Yeah. But he does aesthetics and philosophy of art and all that stuff. And in fact, one of his major areas of research is what is the intersection between our aesthetic value and moral value or morality. So we really screwed up by having you come in. Yeah, it's yeah. a total error. But I do have some thoughts about it, but they're not going to be as good as uh, Giovanelli's yeah. thoughts. Well, so let me frame say it, that right now. Can I, let me frame it this way then. Um, we know you and you're a friend and you teach ethics, so we yeah. thought we could talk to you about it yeah. as opposed to you're the definitive expert on this, and that's why you have to be here. Okay, cool. Then I think, I'm, I'm comfortable now. Okay. I just, and I just like hanging out with you. Same here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. So I think one of the things that we should say right away is that there are a ton of issues here, obviously. I mean, one of them is 
what's the what's the relationship between art and morality there's a there's you know a version of perhaps the hugest question that's hanging over our heads right and when when this popped up in an earlier chat your, your first response was that's you just that's a whole can of worms you just opened up i think i did use the expression can of worms yeah so we're now we are talking about which worms are that in was, this can that was yeah. a metaphor it was at the ground level i think the simplest thing to say is that for a lot of us uh, when you say when we're looking at bill cosby's work one of the things that happens is once you learn about this person's sins, the work is spoiled. You can't just go back and look at the Cosby show and enjoy it anymore. Right. Because you think, oh, this guy, you know, he was he did these terrible things. He drugged women and sexually assaulted them and molested them and did other things. And I can't, every time I watch the show or see his face, I think about that and I think about what he did and I just, I can't enjoy the show anymore. So uh, that's one of the things that can happen. That has nothing to do with the larger issue, of, or very little to do with the larger issue of the relationship between art and morality. That is, his show could still be a very good show. Right. Um, just as Woody Allen's movies could be very good movies. But they might be harder to watch when you're constantly reminded of, you know, the bad things that that artist did. Related to that, I think, is the context of being consumers. Like, we're in the position mm-hmm. of being consumers of this artwork. We're not uh, on the production side. We don't have anything to say about where it comes from, but we pick and choose what we want to listen to or what we want to watch. And we don't always, I mean, I don't, I don't typically run down a moral checklist before I choose a TV show or choose some artwork, but these are so prevalent in the media that it adds, I think, another worm in that can of how do we even know about this stuff Mm. and how are we supposed to judge the the clarity of the issue because we it's filtered through media reports right i mean i think the cosby one was is they did a very good job of making it plain enough i don't feel i feel at this point that we're not missing huge chunks of information the testimony seems overwhelming right and i mean the issue would arise and i mean it could be a hypothetical issue like suppose cosby did this you know it's a philosophical issue right particular artists don't matter there was a (laughs) as usual it took me a while to figure out what what was happening at click hole the onion spinoff clickhole.com do you guys know clickhole no i've seen links from it they have clickbaity titles and one of them was stanley chuchi's racist outburst what will we say if it happens <laughs> well done yeah well done clickhole mm-hmm. but i mean think about someone like wagner like his his sins you know are real uh, and awful but somehow with the passing of time and the fact that you don't actually have to see his face to enjoy or otherwise be exposed to his work as opposed to like Cosby. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to listen to Wagner. His work is more abstract. It's farther removed from the person, right. even though, you know, he was clearly a horrible anti-Semite. And he doesn't benefit from his work clearly. That's right. That's right. Not. And not in any obvious way. I mean, there are theorists who would say that he does. Mm. Wow. Well, I think of like Henry Ford, Yeah, you know, Nazi yeah. sympathizer Henry right. Ford. And I'm surprised that like Jews in the 50s would buy Fords. Mm. Uh, maybe it wasn't well known, and then they shut it down. And um, or Volkswagen or BMW. Right. So once you start to unfold this, these consume these are all consumer choices. Right. right. And well, we're very sensitive these days to what we put in our bodies. You know, both nutritionally but also ethically. Right. Right. Consumers of food. I guess is it local? Is it organic? Um, so I know, you know that where's, where's the vigilance uh, with respect to you know media. Right. And I, and I realize that I'm just piling on more questions before we actually are discussing it. But in addition, the very matter of this discussion, sometimes uh, or oftentimes it bothers me that broaching this subject uh, when I have with others, they take it as a matter of a moral calculus that um, you're defining which ones are worse and then which one's okay as if they're comparable so that 
uh, let's compare Cosby and Woody Allen, and then we'll see which one was worse, and then make some uh, determinant. And I, I don't mean it that way. You have to draw some sort of arbitrary line at that point, and you don't really want to do that. Right. So it's not like, well, Ford versus Wagner versus Heidegger versus, you know, T.S. Eliot or yeah. Ezra Pound. Or right. right. We can make a long list here, um, which are more egregious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, I don't like going, I don't know the, the ethical or the moral philosophy tenet that I'm trying to reach for, but I don't like the one which is based on, um, maybe it's utilitarian. Let's just draw a list of pros and cons for each of these so we can measure which crime is worse. And then we'll rank it and decide at some point when we can start to accept the crime and when we can't. So. Right. You don't have to get into the game of weighing and uh, determining the, the badness of these crimes to to at least raise and attempt to answer the, the bigger question of, you know, what do we do with respect to an artist's work when that artist is uh, morally vicious? And, and, and I, I guess the, the viciousness of their morality is doesn't like i think what you're saying is it doesn't have to you know be uh, it it doesn't actually have to be like this a terrible person it just it right. just has to be something has that this, takes away have well, you had these conversations has this come up if you ever talked about something like this question where um the response from the person you're talking to is more of oh you think this is worse than that or are you justifying i always afraid that it gets if you bring up the subject somebody thinks that you're trying to justify because eventually we have to end this this brief um, bonusode, all right. Getting back to you know that's the Woody Allen thing of I don't know if I like using the Woody Allen clip at the beginning in the whole name of the podcast. Am I justifying something by doing it? Uh, I don't feel like I am. Uh, I, I feel weird. There's something hmm. going on. So, anyways, I'm just restating what I said at the top. Yeah, I mean, there's another there's another worm in the can, which is to what extent is the the badness of the artist uh, informing the work itself mm. so take take someone like Lenny Riefenstahl you know the the great documentarian you know made the film Triumph of the Will no what was it called Birth of a Nation thank you no something <laughs> Triumph of the Will yeah thank you sorry D.W. Sorry. Griffith Birth of the Nation yeah sorry. and in some sense uh, it's a beautiful film beautifully shot it's dramatic all the rest but um, you know you have the feeling that this is a person who is is knowingly aggrandizing you know Hitler mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and what he stands for so her her Nazi anti-Semitic views are informing the work, whereas when you when you look at you know say Woody Allen, um, what's up Tiger Lily or Bananas, his his future uh, evils weren't informing that work. In fact, he hadn't even done those things yet. Although although from a psychological perspective, there could be a a unifying sort of psychology that is doing both of those things. So that so that something deeper down that that caused him to do the things he did later is also his form informing his work in some way the way that he portrays women in his earlier works and stuff like that that could be from this that could be coming from the same place mm. so I'm I'm agreeing with you mm. but but I I don't think that the timing of one or the other necessarily matters I think that that you know something in him was informing it and it could be the same thing that that the, the later issues he had you know uh stem from hmm. all all this i think no matter which of the worms in the can there's still the art artist tension of um, what is the distinction between the art and the artist is is there a strict line and how does that line i don't know if everything's about lines between things but all there's these are, a, there's a very fine line between things that involve a very fine line and those that don't <laughs> I like Just, that. Yeah, yeah. I had a bumper sticker. And by the way, that. is anyone keeping track of the number of worms? Renan, are you are you on this? How many worms? Is he awake? <laughs> He's there. 
Is I think I I count two worms so far. Two worms. Okay. Yeah. So it's not that big a can of worms. Wow. To me, I think there's a maybe they're more precise focus for this particular uh, discussion, starting with Cosby and going to Woody Allen, and not including, you know, Lenny Riefenstahl and mm. and and Wagner and the like. Mm. Which is, it seems to me that the relationship between art and artist is probably different for comedians than for a number of artists. Maybe it's a matter of degree and not kind. That it seems, uh, from my experience of listening to comedy or, or hearing comedians that so much of their material and so much of their work is a manifestation of, of autobiographical working out of issues and talking out problems. It's an expression of who they are a little more directly than other kinds of artwork. And so I don't know how that, well, which is, which is my point in terms of like what, whatever caused Woody Allen to do what he did may have been informing his work previously that, that, that his, his personality in general, if you can, see that as a singular construct um was informing both of those things so it's hard to sort of separate what he did from what he produced prior to that well yeah because manhattan is a very good movie Mm -hmm. but it would seem to be like evidence you know exhibit a of what he would do later Mm -hmm. in a way right and so you know that's weird that muriel hemingway yeah yeah she was very young in that picture. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think this is the point you're making. <laughs> yes. Good. Good. Even her, her, I think her actual age may have been of, of age, but her character was clearly a minor. Mm-hmm. She was in high school. I can say that, um, you know, I, I taught engineering ethics for a number of years, and we, I would try to get in the class pretty quickly past the binary perception that students often had that a technology was good or it was bad, and that if they could decide one or the other, then they were okay. To lead them to the wide space in between, like and then just say neutral. There was a third category they were overlooking. <laughs> a lot of them want to say that too, um, but to say that uh, to get to the middle space and say there's a there's a lot in between about how we decide this, and you need some grasp or some encounter with moral philosophy could be a guide to help you think about how to work through that middle space. Because you also have the classic student answer of if you say is it A or B, they'll say well it depends. Mm-hmm. Like they don't want to commit, they don't want to answer. And they want to use that in a positive way. Well, it depends. You know, it's not one or the other. Sometimes people say, it depends on who you ask, as though the truth would depend on who you ask. I, I guess if you're asking an omnipotent being, then... Then in that case. Then in that it case. Depend, it would bigger. depend on the right. whom that but, you ask. Yes, but yeah. beyond that, I yeah. think you're right. It's just an opinion. Does anybody argue that Woody Allen material pre-whatever, like 1987 is okay? Or I don't know what year this all happened, but pre-80s Woody Allen... Or is the whole thing sullied? Well, so going back to the that, that phenomenon which I mentioned at the outset, which is once you learn of a comedian's or any artist's badness, not to fall back on these uh, binaries that you apparently uh, are not fond of, uh, that 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 spoils your enjoyment of the of anything that that artist has done before, or after you know the crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it this isn't this is not an issue of whether it makes it okay. It's whether your aesthetic judgment is affected. Right. Right, so I wanted to start with that sort of basic issue. Yeah. How does this affect your enjoyment? And then, you know, the philosophical question, one of them is, ought it to affect your enjoyment or appreciation of the art? Renan, does this ever come up with any of the, any of the cultural things that you like? Like, you mean the question if the, um, if the creator affects the creation? Yeah, like Straight Outta Compton is, uh, was the box office hit over the weekend, and there's the, I think, predictable and understandable commentary on it about uh, the misogyny and the way, you know, they treat women. Hmm. 
That that topic's kind of that's interesting. Um, that would be a no. Does not come up. See, I mean, it, part it of, does sometimes. I think depending part, on context, I think. Yeah, and I think in part I'm asking. I'm trying to take advantage of the the age difference of the um, of you're, me you're, and you. Yeah, you're a student, and I don't. I don't remember talking about this stuff as a college student. I mean, like the thing is, a lot of people when they trying to justify why they don't like a certain artist, they bring it up because. But at the same time, a lot of people who are um, listening to these like music by, you know, this music by a lot of different artists that are um, that have bad habits, you know, uh, or you know, are generally bad people. Those people don't care about the personality behind the behind the artist because they they just care about the beat yeah i you know <laughs> this will sound like a far-fetched analogy but it's what comes up in my classes a lot when we talk about food and meat eating and um uh, bacon tastes good mm-hmm. you know burgers taste good and everybody wants they always want to make the crack like yeah i know it's, it should be vegetarian meat eating is you know one of the worst things for the environment but it tastes so good mm-hmm. and then the they treat that as the end point of the discussion where I, I think it's the beginning of it. But I think that's their way of acknowledging that, that, you know, yes, I understand the moral issues, but <laughs> man, you know, part of me, there, there's a part of a drive that, that I can't sort of uh, live up to my own moral judgments because of my own uh, hedonistic tendencies. Maybe or, it's, maybe it's the distinction between, you know, your, um, what do you call that? Your dog brain, your, you know, Beyond your, um, below your moral judgment, there's another, you know, decision maker, I guess, in your body. Maybe your, your, your animal instinct. Yeah, your, your animal instinct. Your and you're obeying that. You know, you're obeying with, with the films, with the, you know, if you like the films, you know, if it makes you feel a certain way, or like the music, then you're fine with it. Because, you know, one of your um, needs are being satisfied. Yeah, it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. No, Owen, does this come up? Because because my my perspective of this is sort of the first thing I think about when I think about these type these types of issues is some of the, like the the Nazi doctor experiments mm. in World War II, where yeah. you know you have this data that was collected in in horribly unethical ways, but the data exists. I I don't think people question the validity of the data. Like the like these are these numbers are actually like the hypothermia tables and things like that. Like these are true data but the way in which they were collected should we use these data or should um we you know is it honoring the victims to use the data is it dishonoring the victims to use the data so it, so it's another one of these things this is you know from from looking at studying ethics with human subjects for you know psychology and stuff like that these were the things that that tend to come up and so this is not about the aesthetic value of the results it's a different worm yeah, it's a it's different a, this can. Is, this is a third. Okay, well, but it's on the same first, shelf. First worm from a different. Oh, can. that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you do you discuss that type of stuff at all? No. Okay. No. Um, my ethical theory class is a class in ethical theory, mm-hmm. so we rarely discuss particular cases. Okay. Uh, we discuss instead those very general principles that you seem to be relying on, that one seems to be relying on in one's discussion of particular cases. Got it. So somebody might form an opinion about, you know, whether insider trading is morally right or wrong, whether using these these, these data um, is morally right or wrong. And they might say, well, you know, because, you know, the end justifies the means, or something like that. Uh, and then we say, okay, so you're talking about uh, the idea that if the overall consequences are the best possible uh, then it's okay to perform the the action. Mm. 
like, yeah, that's it. So that's a little theory, right? Utilitarianism. And so we talk about utilitarianism and try to formulate it very precisely and try to figure out whether it's plausible or implausible. That might involve revisiting particular cases, but that wouldn't be the focus. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, I have another, I think maybe this is the first can still, and mm. it's part of one of the worms we already brought out, which is the uh, consumer identity. Because I think, um, Simon, like you're pointing out, or it seemed like you were walking towards pointing out, like we're, we're living, like we have to make choices. Like, mm-hmm. And there's no there's no pure state to which we could defer, which, where everything would be great. So how do, how do you confront it, given the fact that there's nothing pure and ideal, uh, all of life is messy? And so you think of, why is it okay to buy uh, or use an Apple product or any computer product, not just given what we know to be demonstrably true about labor practices and almost, if not almost slave-like treatment, perhaps slave-like treatment of of people in other parts of the world, let alone what it takes to get the raw materials for a lot of these things. And what happens to the materials after we throw them away. Yeah, like we have to choose to not care about that and not keep it as part of our daily decision making about you know we all have our phones sitting here mm-hmm. this is like one of my earlier things like i don't want to make the claim that this is the same thing as talking about Woody allen's crimes or bill cosby's except that um, i have to choose whether or not how much i want to care about it right if i want to keep using it yes there is that there is that common element you have to you have to decide uh how seriously you're going to take ethical considerations which is itself an ethical question keep going down this rabbit hole it's bad there's so many worms down this rabbit hole. Yeah. Are we mixing metaphors now? <laughs> that would be a classic mixture of metaphors, Ooh. but I really liked it. Okay, good. Just a, a rabbit hole with a bunch of worms in it. Yeah, I, so I, I just, I, now I'm going to, when I go back to Alice in Wonderland, I'm going to hope that she finds a can of worms. It seems like the it rabbit... Says, what would it say? Don't open me? Probably. Yeah. You don't I would, open I would think that the rabbit hole probably has shelving. It's like a bomb shelter, and there's probably cans in there. You've watched too much Bugs Bunny. We could say of the can of worms that says "Don't open me." It's like a Pandora. That's a Pandora's box. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a that's triple triple metaphors. Yeah, I think we probably hit a record. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) I have another worm. What's that? To add. Okay. Which is this? Um, Think about uh, an athlete's performance. Oh yeah. On the field, you know. Mm -hmm. Suppose suppose it's a beautiful skating performance or a you know graceful basketball performance. Take your pick. Mm-hmm. You're looking at it from an aesthetic point of view. It's beautiful in some way. But suppose the, you know, say a football player, a professional football player is, uh, you know, beating the crap out of his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. This is too far-fetched to even imagine. <laughs> um, how, do we, how, do we, um, how do we feel about that performance? And how ought we feel about that performance? And mm-hmm. should, should we watch those games? And should we wear that player's numbers? Yeah. All that stuff. See, in that case, it seems a little more direct, like actually buying the jersey, mm-hmm. the, that money going so directly to benefit the perpetrator of the of the bad act. Mm. But there was a big story about uh, what it means to work at Amazon in the paper last weekend. There's yes. a lot of chatter about, um, you know, that it just seems so degrading to be mm-hmm. an employee there. And um, on, on the one hand, I'll do one of these two hands things. We should mm. have worked a hand metaphor in. Mm, yeah. It's one. not too late. Lots of hands, worms, rabbit holes, Pandora's boxes. Right. Yes. On the one hand, when I open the Pandora's box of the rabbit hole where the worms are, mm-hmm. I think, wow, this is probably not too different than I imagined because uh, I, I see that the, the efficiency and success of these companies would require such treatment of its workers. You know, damn you, Amazon, I can't believe you're like this. I'm going to take away my one-click auto order, whatever that's called, Prime Amazon. Yeah, cancel Prime. your Prime membership. Right yeah. Away, right away. That'll show them. That'll show you. Yeah. 
shut them down. On the hmm. other hand, I just can't imagine that other companies are, are that much different. It must be a spectrum where I'm sure there are some companies, a lot of companies that are a lot better to work for, but I have to believe that a lot of companies just weren't subject to the same profile. And if we had a new one every day of every company, it would probably reveal the same thing. When I was reading the same article, I thought there's got to be people who like working at such an atmosphere. And, you know, the, the company exists because it succeeded at attracting those kind of people who are okay with working at those conditions, which aren't that bad. It's not like a sweatshop like Amazon's warehouses. Literally. Literally. Did you know it's it's the uh, morning call, the mm-hmm. local newspaper who uncovered that? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, because it was a warehouse near so, here. Yeah, it's the western part of the valley. That's so interesting. I didn't know about that This is until I read the New York Times article that came. Whatever. I emailed, uh, I have a friend who um, works at Amazon. I emailed him saying, hey. Hope um, you're okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you I said, need help? <laughs> I, I said, I, uh, this, this print media article um, remind me of me. How's life? And then I still haven't gotten a response from this person yet. They're not allowed to email out, probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I should say that uh, <laughs> this is various breads and butters, and it might make sense to um, tail off here and ask uh, listeners to email comments or questions if they want to keep pursuing this, or if they have uh, references or um, contributions to it. But yeah, they can, uh, viewers can, or listeners can email us at variousbreadsandbutters at gmail.com, or they can always reach us on Twitter at some later date. Can I add that I think we'll, we're likely to get a lot of good feedback on a complex ethical uh, conversation at the 140 character and less level? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, I think Twitter is the way to go to resolve this. I do too. You just, I think any ethical theory worth, worth knowing is statable in 140 characters or less, maybe right. 70. Oh yeah. You don't want to go. You don't want to go on and on. Is there a version of Twitter where you know it's like half of uh, 140? Is it called like Twit? <laughs> it's Twee. Twee. Oh, it would be. Should be. That'd be very Twee. Um, you know, maybe we should have a Snapchat account so if they want to have any ethical theories that they can, you know, do in a picture because that's a thousand words. Then you know, mm. we can... oh yes, you're right. That's right. You're right. So that's pretty good. Uh, my my closing commentary will be that. I think for me, the most vexing or, or frustrating part about trying to think through this issue is when people say that it's simple or presume that there's a straightforward and clear-cut answer to it. They're very declarative and assertive. And um, that's never satisfying to me. No, it's very complicated. I would think it's fair to say, what? It's a can of worms? I think in a, we've in a rabbit that. hole. In a rabbit hole. On a shelf. We shouldn't open it. So we'll, we'll keep on struggling with this issue. We're not changing the name this point because Owen didn't tell us to change the name. You're going to lose millions of listeners if you change the name. If Alessandro tells us to change the name, then we might be back here with another bonus episode. Sounds good. I think we're good. All right. Headphones off. Bye.